Today's duo is used to traveling the world to create events for some of the biggest names in business. But when the pandemic shut down in-person events and their globe-trotting ways, they pivoted to virtual events. Now as people begin to come together again, Ember Escapes is going back to the fundamentals of the human experience and creating a unique gathering place nestled in the woods of New Hampshire. I'm Matt Mowry, editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, founder and president of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. Matt, you know why I'm excited? Why are you excited? Not because it's fall. Not because, you know, the, the time of year is coming up and all that, but we're networking again. I know. We're like going into big rooms with lots of people and we're thankfully most of us are healthy, I would hope. And I love that kind of stuff. I love it. I'm a little trepidatious, but not because of the pandemic. Uh No, no, because it's been so long. (laughs) And my rusty. I am so rusty. rusty I mean, just at being human. Never mind networking with Mm -hmm. other said humans. It's true. It's just. um, I remember my first networking event I I went to, and you know me, I'm introverted hard, so it takes you know. It, it's it, it's hard enough to begin with. Yeah. Never mind after a, you know two years. Yeah, exactly. It takes and a lot more. It, I guess even as an introvert, mm-hmm. I missed being around people. It was just this flood <laughs> was of, of just nonstop babble because mm-hmm. I had other humans that I wasn't living with anymore to yeah. talk to. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure it was good for them, but it was good for me. Well, I'm glad it was good for you. <laughs> uh, you know, it's got to be good for somebody. <laughs> How about you? Well, I'm just, I, I love it. I am obviously an extrovert. I don't know if you knew that about me. I, I had a, an inkling. But you yeah. had an inkling. Well, yeah. And I just, I love it. I, um, I am the guy that, and I think I've described myself here, like I'm the guy that is like, I don't know, first or second in line. And I'm like the last guy in the corner, you know, yakking with somebody about something and then walking out with business cards and all of that fun stuff. Um, but I don't know, I just enjoy it. And I just enjoy being around people and, and meeting new people. I'm also the guy that will be the, like the little awkward, you know, I'll stand by somebody I want to talk to at <laughs> a networking stalker. meeting. Cause I'm like, we're there to network, right? We're not there to just like eat cheese and drink right. wine, which is lovely. But I do, I stand next to them. And until like they're, they're, they're done with the conversation they're having with that person. And then they kind of like turn awkwardly and I'm like, hi. I <laughs> <laughs> see those are the things that I'm like yeah. nervous about, yeah. but there's just something about being in person and being able to make those connections. You just can't there do is. through a zoom. Meeting. The energy. Well, even like here with the podcast, right? Like if we were to do this remotely, you don't get the energy. It's the same thing with with networking. You just don't get the energy. You don't get those side conversations. You don't get, you know, these little interactions, which lead to relationships, business or otherwise, you know. So Never have we been so excited to get back to the rubber chicken circuit. Yeah. I'm ready. Do it, baby. All right. Now we're ready. Also ready to uh, introduce this week's guests. Thankfully, our guests this week are Chris Gasparro and Kathy Del Medico, founders of Ember Escapes, a boutique creative gathering agency based in the small seaside city of Newburyport, Mass, who exists to amplify brand passion through extraordinary gatherings. Kathy is a 25-year celebrated meetings and events industry veteran. Kathy's been part of hundreds of memorable and experiential events. At Ember, she leads the gathering team of producers on hundreds hundreds of projects annually while governing Ember's back-of-house operations. She most recently was selected by BizBash as 2021's 
500 Most Influential Event Professionals. Pretty cool. Chris Gasparro has over 20 years in the meetings and events industry as owner of Ember, a forward-thinking gathering agency. He helps to influence the meeting and event portfolios for some wicked awesome brands, as they describe it. From humble beginnings as a tour, touring guitar tech, Chris now focuses his time on events like shutting down Wall Street for an IPO event or collaborating with Taylor Swift, Keds, and Nordstrom to launch a new shoe for her 1989 tour. Pretty sweet. Kathy and Chris, welcome. Thank you. Happy we're excited to, to have you. We I'm an influential one. Bizbash passed right over me. They were like, no, we need Kathy. We need Kathy. Um, it's, uh, I feel like we literally could talk for hours about everything you've experienced, everything you've done um, in this industry over the years that you've, you've been there um, and, and you've been working in it. Um, but let's start with what Ember and Ember Escapes is as a gathering agency. I love that, by the way. Um, before we dive deeper into Ember Escapes, why gathering agency is what I also want to know. And, and you obviously choose your words very carefully. So what's the philosophy behind all of this? Well, I think uh, 14 years ago when we were working for TGX, we knew 14 years now there'd be every sign gather in a home goods. So we wanted to get ahead of that. So we were actually very <laughs> distinctful. When we actually launched the agency, we thought about words are important, right? Yeah. And so we kind of said, well, there's meetings and events and parties and parties is kind of down looked on. So I think when we said, well, what's the word we want to represent and manifest in the type of meetings? Why mm -hmm. should you call us? And mm -hmm. we kind of thought of the word gathering, which is simple as from thousands of years gathering around a fire pit yeah. um, to a board of directors meeting, to a sales conference, whatever it is, that seemed to be the distilled world that not everyone's lit up to go to a meeting, right? Some people are lit up to an event and we're like, let's kind of take some equity in that word. Cool. Cool. I love that. So, um, Kathy, a little bit of that history of, of Ember and, and then lead us right into Ember Escapes because that is the now the New Hampshire connection, as Matt alluded to earlier. Um, but there's something that came before that, obviously, and a lot of work and passion that's been put into that Ember project. Yeah. So the Ember team, the gathering producers who produce events all over the country, um, as well as internationally, have done quite a bit. And I think Chris and I were also looking to see what else is out there and what mm -hmm. else can we do. Um, when COVID hit, we pivoted very quickly to virtual meetings and we're very fortunate to convert all of our clients to virtual meetings. But we wanted something more. We recognized that people were starting to get together in small groups and we were sourcing venues all over the country for these retreat type of meetings and um, having small groups gather. And we thought, why not do that ourselves? Why not design a place where people can come and gather in small groups and really get the most out of their environment and whether it's interior or exterior environment and the time that they have together. And so now you've developed this concept of having this specialized meeting place so that you can bring your clients to and help them control their, you know, their, their experience. And you've called it quietude. And you're up in, of all places, Tuftonboro, New Hampshire, uh, tucked away in the woods uh. and by the <laughs> lakes. Uh, it's beautiful. Um, but so tell me why. A Massachusetts-based company decided to go to Tuftonboro to do this. Well, well, we have connections, in New Hampshire. You live there. I am a New Hampshire resident. <gasps> oh, 
I didn't know that. I live in Where New in New Hampshire do you live? I live in Hampton. Oh, there we go. I okay. grew up in Hampton, went to high school there and everything else. You even but worked at Hampton Beach Casino, right? I did for many oh, years. I nice. worked at the casino ballroom. Nice. Um, but I also spent a lot of my time in the summer in at Lake Wamasaki. Ah. So my family had a home there and got very familiar with the area and love it. And my mother lives there now permanently. Um, so yeah, the the natural progression up to this area was was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing the beauty and the, yeah. and the environment and everything kind of made sense to you. Huh? Yeah. And it was funny because Chris actually just, there's a long history of how we found the place. We, um, we were searching closer to Newburyport and mm-hmm. what we were finding just wasn't what we envisioned. And then Chris kind of expanded the search a little bit and found this place and said, hey, just stop by if you're up there this weekend. And I walked in and I'm like, oh, this is it. <laughs> you knew right away. Oh, instantly. That's yeah. awesome. So describe, yes, thank you. first of all, the, the property itself and what attracted you it, to it, and then wh- how you're transforming it into quietude. Yeah, I think uh, a lot is attractive. The biggest thing we wanted is, especially coming out of COVID, is something that could serve large audiences, right? Mm-hmm. And some people like to be inside, some people like to be outside. And part of our client portfolio is a lot of running brands, athletic brands, uh, who are very active and actually part of their meetings, I would say half the day are outside in space. So running, cross-country skiing, playing hockey, whatever it is. So as we kind of expand our search, we are thinking about, well, the Seacoast might not have a multi-acre property that can has you know seven to eight bedrooms. Uh, and part of the journey of getting there was also attractive. Um, I grew up uh, having a home in the Waterville Valley. So I used to go up 93 from Rhode Island uh, every Friday as a skier uh, growing up. And so it's, there's something about when you hop on a plane to go to Florida for a sales conference or Nashville for an event that really disconnects you. So that was something we found in our journey of might be better actually not to be in the Seacoast area and maybe further away from Boston or Portland or the Seacoast. Mm. So that was the first thing that attracted us was the distance in Route 16. When you drive that non-traffic on a Friday, other than Friday evening, <laughs> it is yeah, right, when that right. mountain range comes into view, it's stunning. And then when we arrived on the property, when you walked in this building, which hadn't been inhabited for 20 years, was over 100 years old, it just felt and looked like something. And it was an Adirondack-inspired lodge in the oh. middle of New Hampshire. Wow. So it was like you were up in upstate New York, and it just had this kind of these old bones that we went, regardless of whatever the investment is, this, the infrastructure's there. Mm-hmm. And it gave us something special, not, you know, I think New England, we can kind of sometimes overappreciate historicness, right? Um, and certainly in the Lakes region, while that the real estate portfolio has probably grown in the last 20 years, here's a 100-year-old property that was used by an accountant that rumor had it, Teddy Roosevelt stayed in, <laughs> same architect as the castle in the clouds, oh, but wow. built 10 years earlier. Mm-hmm. There were just all these things that started to connect to go, you know, this is, this is not an Airbnb. This is not just someone's extended house because certainly a lot of our clients have lovely big homes, but what's going to make something for a group to go in that allows to be a canvas for them to have a memory yeah. or have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think once we got into discovering the property on several visits, there were just all these nooks beyond the big room, the overlook, the back trails, the ponds, the fields. It was just so much that I went, we can, we can paint a lot of events here. That's awesome. Wow. What did you love Kathy about it? I loved everything about it. I, I can see <laughs> it the, just um, sounds amazing. Wow. Yeah. And, and the house itself, like, Chris said the bones of it were phenomenal and to be able to take something like that that's historic and and keep it as authentic as possible but update it so that it's usable um was just great and the views are amazing 
And it's so quiet. I mean, they talk about quietude. We were fortunate enough to actually acquire that name. It's been the name of the um, the property for quite some time. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. so that's where it comes from then. Yeah. Nice. So we kept the name of the property, and the former owners know that. Um, but it makes sense. Like, just it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a boat. You can't change in the name of a boat, exactly. right? You got to exactly. just keep it. And that, and that clearly makes sense for you guys. So in terms of that experience, say I'm a client and I come to you and I, I want a space and experience like that. What are you, what are you providing for your clients um, besides just the space? Are you orchestrating their entire, you know, meeting as it were, or, or their entire time away at that space? Yeah, that, that our intent is really kind of serves our other brand. The agency side mm-hmm. is it's powered by that. So we're going to have some clients who are a little bit maybe no frills or we just need a weekend away and we actually don't want to overproduce this that much. Yeah. And the exciting part for both of us, I think, at year 14 of our other business is experimenting, trying new stuff. And we work in some of the most amazing properties all over the world, but a lot of them have rules and restrictions and sometimes are limited by creativity and ownership groups. And so part of our idea is we can do whatever we want. We Mm -hmm. can create things. If we want to create a bunch of hammocks in a field temporarily in the stand of trees, we can do that for a client. So I think giving ourselves permission to do that, but really the power of Ember, our producers can come alongside and guide everything from agenda and mapping it back to objectives. And that's our first question is, hey, it's at the end of three days. What does success look like? What are you feeling? Someone's driving Route 16 back who's been an attendee. What's happened to them? And then we can help craft that agenda since we know the property or honestly we can try something new and everything from private chefs to or looking at new activities. We're trying to create our own kind of unique games. Like, like I keep thinking of like, there has to be some like team building Highland games. That feels very New Hampshire. <laughs> oh my God. I went to that like, here, throw this tree over there. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy knows this. I get, um, some of our clients don't always buy off of things. And I have this one earmarked page as, um, I found for a client, we worked with Sperry shoes once and, uh, we wanted to rent a pool and one of the designs was actually have a log rolling contest. And oh, like, wow. You can buy one for $2,200. It's oh. out of Wisconsin, the Makes official sense. log rolling capital of North America. Of course. And I think that'd be great on the pond and how silly and fun and, and a great video wrap at the end, right? Pictures? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> as long as I don't have to be on it. Great. <laughs> oh, man. And as long as I don't end up with it in between me, then we're good. You know? Yeah. We've had 14 years of um, sell the dream, service the nightmare. So we continue on. Well, you know, that's maybe a good point to hop in the Wayback Machine that Matt brings to this uh, podcast every time that we record um, to find out again about your roots. And we talked a little bit off mic uh, about the fact that uh, Chris and I have been in the same room, but it was, you know, uh, what, uh, like 15 years ago or something. Yeah. Uh, uh, in bit down in Boston. Um, but what, where, you know, you guys have had very su- successful careers, done a lot of great stuff, built this company so far, but how did it start? Kathy, I'm going to start with you. How did, um, you get into say the events business or was, um, is that a circuitous route maybe? <laughs> wow. I know. Go back. Right. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, I was a physical education teacher. Oh, because that's a natural progression, right? Right. Well, you know, <laughs> r- rallying all those children, well, I think, was true. an event every single day. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, but at the time that I was teaching, I couldn't find a full-time job because that's when they were cutting all of the, you know, oh. extracurricular kind of arts, music, phys yeah. ed. So I started working at the casino ballroom mm-hmm. um, during the summers in the concert industry and then went to work for a, a music agency and then went on to work for Don Law, um, who then turned into Clear Channel, SFX, oh, wow. Live Nation. Yeah. Um, and was there for quite some time doing corporate events um, and doing corporate entertainment. So I basically did everything from the stage back 
in events. And then um, Chris and I met along the way, Mm -hmm. but then we started working for a design company, an event design company. And I did everything from stage front. (laughs) Oh, wow. Kind of combining the whole thing. Um, But yeah, it kind of fell into it really, but loved it and loved the logistics side of things and putting it all together and... So your little little left brain, little right brain, maybe, huh? Yes. <laughs> nice. How about you, Chris? What's what are the roots here? Yeah, forestry major. Stop. Um, yeah. And really? I was forestry major. Oh and, no way. Um, I think during my junior year, when I was uh, doing some, I was working on a hotshot crew in in Idaho, and I went. I'm not sure this is a long term fit, so I uh, pivoted yeah. some uh, pivoted to some business classes and okay. took off the cap and gown and um, decided to hey, I'm going to spend the summer touring with a band as a guitar tech. And a road manager, and then a rowing, running a couple bands and uh, getting involved in music, and then pivoted to, okay, 240 nights a year on the road and have a moving <laughs> locker room. Is, is, uh, that was a fun journey. It was my master's degree, I like to say. And then mm. I went to work for an AV company when I'm like, oh, I can be one spot and be behind the drape and worked on like large event staging for Microsoft launches back in the late 90s and right early on. 1000s. And then uh, had an opportunity to actually join Kathy. We were kind of volunteering in MPI mm-hmm. and uh, the International Live Events Association. And she kind of snicker, kind of canoodled me onto her board of directors <laughs> as a VP of communications. And we had this one, we had, back in the day, you talked about how you kind of kicked it off about being together. We were going to a conference in Philadelphia. And I don't know if it's a New England thing. We're like, oh, let's get a van and get 12 people, a 15-passenger van, and just drive down. Oh, Is it Philly? Yeah. That makes total sense. And Kathy <laughs> was the driver, and I was her co-pilot because we had ran McNally's back then. Yeah. And, get uh, the big map out. Yeah. yeah. So seven hours, that's how we really forged our, the beginning of our relationship. And, uh, and then, yeah, we worked together at a great design firm doing awesome events all over the world that were just tremendous. And then we went, hey, why don't we just do this for ourselves? And... That's how it all started. Now, I always love when entrepreneurs go, and then we and just we did, did this. Right. I was going to say that. So maybe you woke up one day and that was the decision. dive into that a bit yeah. because that is a big dive. I mean, yeah. it's one thing to have a successful career, right? And things are moving along and it's safe and it's secure. And then it's a big leap of faith to go, okay, it's, it's going to be us and we are starting from scratch. And so what made you want to take that leap and... Um, what was it that clicked that you said, we can do this? I'll kind of start off and then you can fill in really the idea of gathering that you asked about is, you know, we did lots of really awesome ads, big budgets, big parties. And then we started working for Timberland, uh, back in the day when the shorts family still owned and it was still being run. And we got in these events that were not big budgets, but they were so well put together and fulfilling and rich. And we were sitting there, I think in San Diego and we were with our client at the time, who eventually would be our, one of the first three business partners. And we had a bar after, after a great event feeling so great. We're like, we got to help bring this out to other clients. We can design events like this that are ethos rich. And like in Timberland always had a, they used to have 24 hours of service in any kind of their global meetings for three days, shut down the meeting and let's serve. And that, that was such a powerful thing we didn't see on the big Oracle events or Microsoft parties. So we kind of wrote in a cocktail napkin and then jumped. And it was, what, four months later that we were starting our own company? So talk about a leap of faith. Yeah. yeah. And I think that it, um, the energy amongst the three of us and the support that we were giving each other allowed us to take that leap of faith. And then give our listeners an idea of what you built this into before 2020. So <laughs> before the world stopped, what, where were you at and, and what had you built your company into? And, where were you at in your vision? 
Yeah, I think what we were was probably 15, 12 to 15 people. We were pivoting a little bit more to a contractor base, but um, we had probably well over close to 100 events annually and everything from a large 1,700 person association meeting and kind of a bigger property to um, high-end presidents clubs with national acts performing and really was a very diverse but awesome small portfolio. We never wanted to be huge. We actually kind of teased that. We rather said our strategy was always short and wide and this idea of like, let's have a couple clients and one's going to change or move on and add two new every year. And I think we work uh, for a small agency, as, as some of our peers might look at us. We have probably one of the deepest and most admired you know, client sets with FootJoy, Titleist, Bauer Hockey, um, and kind of name half the footwear companies in the Boston area we get to collaborate with, and Hanover Insurance and some other great companies. And so then... 2020 hits, you know, the, the voice of doom, um, and events and everything just comes to a screeching halt. And when events is your business, what goes through your mind and how did you deal with that? I mean, we're all in, you know, emergency mode, but you're especially in emergency mode. You were at DEF CON 10, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> what was that like for you? Honestly, it wasn't scary until three or four months in because we live in that mode, producing events. Like we're, you have to have significant deadlines, significant budgets. Like if you have any kind of hiccup along the way, you have to immediately pivot and think about what you're going to do then. And it's like on your feet thinking. And we were very quick to turn. Um, and Chris and I have very different skill sets. So it was fantastic because... Chris was like, I'm going to figure out how to do these virtual meetings and we're going to do them well. And we're going to do them as well as we do our in-face gatherings. And I have the logistics background. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to focus down on the PPP loans and mm. the banks and our expenses. And, you know, how do we support our staff while they're, you know, wondering if they're going to have a job or not? How do we support our vendors when we don't know if they're going to make it through? And what was happening on the client side, too? I mean, when this happened, what, what, what happened with events that you had in process? Yeah, or actually the last event we had was actually um, the Cliff House in Maine. We had a global company from Israel, Mexico City, and, and every week before it, this was what, the second week of March, it went from 150 to 80, 70 to it's going to be 20 executives on the private jet, jet out of Mexico City. And we had all of Cliff House. And that's when we started to see, oh, this is real. And I think in the span of three weeks, we were negotiating contract adjustment clauses, working with hotels to say, can we punt this to next spring? And, and, and there's a lot of flexibility. Our community, I think, did really well. Um, and so clients, I think, initially were like, punt, mitigate losses. We're going to stop having meetings. And then, okay, we don't know what's going to happen, so we're going to take this big travel and expense and we're going to cost save it because we might lose customers, et cetera. And we're just going to do zoom and teams. <laughs> and so for about three or four weeks that gave us time to research. Everyone's yeah. like, we're all set. And then probably I would say the second week of May, they all started calling and like, that's not going to work long-term. Yeah. Mm. And our position in the marketplace was, you know, I think I, I spent a probably a good two weeks up at night in the office buying cameras and switching systems and working with Vimeo and all this stuff to, to realize when I called Kathy, I said, I don't want to be a technician. And so our position was to take a high end price point to storytelling for the masses at broadcast level. So it was, it was 10 X what people were willing to pay They're, you know, in virtuals or you can do a great streaming meeting for three to four or even 15,000. We kind of went 50,000 and above multi-camera 
LED screens, broadcast package, bring in hosts. Because as we all know, we found is attention span, right? You have, <laughs> yeah, to, treat, you have right. to treat like the morning news, right. right? In the first three minutes, there's five camera switches, exactly. right? Exactly. Nice. And, you know, I think that's you know, such an inspirational part of the story is that, you know, it, you were during the, this two-year span, it was all about, you know, we all had to pivot, but you were really having to pivot constantly, it seemed. So, you know, you pivot to virtual, but then people's thirst for how do we come back? How do we do maybe do hybrid events? How do we do in-person events? So how were you able to then go, okay, we've, we've, we've successfully gone virtual. At what point did you start thinking again about what does in-person look like? And at what point did that morph into Emberscapes and Quietude? Yeah, well, as far as coming back into events, it was interesting because the New England area was so much more conservative to, than the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we have clients or events in Texas, it was like nothing had happened. Oh, so it was boy. like, we're just going and doing our thing. And same in, you know, Southeast and Florida. Mm-hmm. So we had to be, pay very close attention to what was happening, where the events were happening. And mostly what the parent company were was driving for those events. Um, I have to say, we've never done so many outdoor events, um, you know, general sessions outdoors, cocktail parties, like everything was outdoors just to, to calm people down and, um, help them understand that you can still meet and you can do it safely. Yes. And this is how we're going to do it. Right. And talk them through that. Nice. So what are you, what are you seeing now in terms of, you know, almost a few years on, um, and, and kind of the are we are you sort of back at pre-pandemic levels as they're saying or or and and has has anything changed in terms of the demand from your clients for certain types of events yeah we're going we're right now in what we call the crush right this is our water park in july right now the kind of q3 wrap of september and october wow the biggest trends we've seen is our september is probably the biggest we've ever seen wow um and so people are just like all right vacation's over kids are back in school Let's hop on planes. Let's do meetings. Let's get business planning. Mm-hmm. And certain some of the global macroeconomics are driving some of those decisions of companies. So I think we're at ninety five percent of what we were doing back in nineteen, and our mix is back. I would say to ninety five percent in face uh, versus we were a heavy almost like eighty percent virtual. So we were still doing some gatherings. As yep. not a lot of clients are like Q one January. Let's go to New Hampshire. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah. Yeah. they go. They want to go to Nashville. They want to uh-huh. go to San Diego. And right. and so we were still doing that and it was it was it was keeping us sharp we were a little rusty as we started to come back on some of the bigger ones um, which was great and certainly our team i probably didn't have a long-term oh my gosh virtual forever so we kind of found the the, what was unique about it played off it for as long as we could and we're not really doing hybrid that's still we're doing some broadcast but we kind of treat them as two separate events uh we haven't seen it successfully done in in our world and that's kind of our position as we treat them as two different audiences not meant now, not shall they ever, you know, interact really in a great way. We'll be right back. Sky Terra is one of the nation's top 50 Microsoft cloud solutions provider, and we're proud to be headquartered right here in New Hampshire. Please visit us at www.skyterratech.com to see how we help companies with their IT needs so they can concentrate on their business. All right, we're back with Chris Casparo and Kathy Delmedico. So we've been talking about the pivoting to virtual events and now going back and, and 
event seasons and full gear and, and you're busier than ever. Um, but in between that, you had this inspiration for quietude and building this event space that you could con- and control the environment and, and the experience that you give to your clients. Can you talk a little bit more about why that was important to you at this stage? And you also talked previously about the bones of the uh, of the place. Let's talk about how you dressed those bones. I, that sounds uh, uh, far more <laughs> morbid than I intended, but yeah. you know, uh, there was extensive renovations that went into this. So talk about further the inspiration for why you wanted to do this and then what it took to bring it to life. Yeah, the, the quick inspiration, and Kathy, you can speak best to the renovation, is is we've kind of had this nugget of a, what if we had our own venue? Um, and that's certainly, especially when we do small meetings, mm. believe it or not, they take just as much time as the bigger ones. So there's actually not much planning difference. And one barrier we're having pre-pandemic and during the pandemic, because we did about seven or eight offsites a year, is with the advent of Airbnb, which is actually the largest room night hotel in the world now. Airbnb kind of caters to a leisure travel. So if we were talking and you wanted to book it, we'd be like, great, we found you an Airbnb, but we can't guarantee unless we hit pay now. Mm. And it's a lot of inflexibility because it's based upon like Saturday, Saturday in and outs, and you can't arrive till 3 p.m. So we're, I think we talked several times when we were sourcing, said, man, I wish we could just drop ship some stuff or get in there the night before. And so we found a lot of inflexibility and we said, well, what if we had our own venue? What if we experimented and actually gave us a data point to make better gatherings and also serve maybe, you know, grooming new future team members or a sabbatical opportunity at the kind of as a caretaker for team members. And even us, as we were approaching our 15th year in business, a new project kind of one allow us to focus on, but also allow our team to step into some of the roles we were playing as, especially as we're coming out. We were in the weeds really for most of the pandemic. Now as we're letting go and our team has an opportunity to get promotions, take on new skills, this was kind of a, a project for us. So, and the one thing we data point we saw during COVID is small meetings were still happening, especially if they had an outdoor board of directors were getting to meet together. You know, leadership teams were like, we haven't been together in six months. We need to go to Austin, Texas yeah. and have a meeting. So we went, well, this is a little recession proof or COVID proof that as long as we have a, a small facility, that could become part of our business. Mm-hmm. And it was also a strategic point for us of it's a great point to interact with leadership and help teams. It's where we see the next leaders formed or having great ideas. So that was kind of the genesis. And we went right before COVID four weeks before we were at a, a business event for we had what 14 event company leaders. We kind of round table about building our businesses and diversifying. It was kind of, you know, pre- it was amazing. That was four weeks before. And we were forced to write kind of a business plan on, on three objectives. And we had this ready to go. And I think six months into it, we went, why not? Now we have no better reason than to start now. <laughs> right. And then Kathy, she kind of talked about the bones. and Yeah. So like I said, you know, we kind of walked in there and said, this is it. This is the place. Yeah. Um, and you've been there. You've seen it. Yes. I think during renovation, yes, so you should I was come back say. for sure. Um, beautiful wood, Southern pine, like the whole building is just structurally beautiful. What year and was it built? 1904. Oh, see, that's yeah. Like things were actually built well back then. Yes, very well. I mean, <laughs> so and when you the say the bones, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's very different. It's not your standard, you know, put your colonial house together. Mm. It is a unique property. You're not going to find the same thing anywhere else. Well, it has a gatehouse. It does. That you're going to be renovating as phase two. Yes. But in a beautiful stone wall fence that kind of leads you into the property. Yep, that leads you right in. You've got your gatehouse and, and open fields that overlook the um, Belknap Mountains. And then um, a pond that Chris has stocked with trout. Rainbow trout. Rainbow trout. Wow. 
Um, <laughs> and then you carry on through the woods kind of because you can't see the house from the road. Mm-hmm. Like you'd never know it was there unless you drove back, you know, down through the driveway. So and there's a little cottage there too that kind of kicks off. And then you pull around the bend of the driveway and there's this enormous house that just has this presence and it's, it's very welcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was fun to, well, I shouldn't say it was fun to go through the renovations. Renovations were never fun. Renovations were never fun. One, the renovations were complete. Well, I mean, it, you know, maybe the creativity part or the, yeah, you know, the, so putting the designing things back of together. it yeah. and the moving things around. Because obviously kitchens, bathrooms hadn't been yeah. updated for years. So it was fun to do that. You know, take the kitchen and say we're going to gut the whole thing and, and start over in the kitchen. And then also how the bathrooms, um, need, we needed more bathrooms. Mm-hmm. And how do you turn a closet into a bathroom or how do you add a bathroom or how, you know, and going through that and trying not to change the structure or yeah. the, or the integrity of the house, mm-hmm. but giving those amenities that are, that are worth it and that are, you know, going to help people enjoy their stay. Balancing character of what's built in yeah. versus meeting the yeah. needs of a modern audience. Right. Yeah, exactly. But you also, I mean, as much as you were re- renovating the, inside of the property uh, or the house, you also put a lot of thought into what, how you could use the natural amenities around you to create different meeting spaces. Can you talk about what those look like and why that was important to you? Yeah. And I think, you know, as Chris was saying earlier, like when you're gathering and you're gathering in a small group of people, you want to have those areas where you have the one-on-one conversations. You know, someone might get up at breakfast and be an early riser that you may have never spoken to before, really, or had a real heart-to-heart when you're not huh. in a meeting room staring at them or staring at a presentation. Um, so there's like a little breakfast nook in the in the kitchen. There um, is a sunroom that has big oversized chairs and, and things like that that you can kind of sit in and drink your coffee or, you know, have a cocktail at the end of the night and have a conversation there. There are little window seats everywhere throughout the house. Outside, we cleared a whole area um, because it was it was very overgrown from the outside, um, so we cleared an area that you overlook the bell maps, and there's a little bench there for two people to sit there and just have a conversation and enjoy each other's company. We have several fire pits on the property too. One is hidden in the woods, so you have to find it. <laughs> um, and then the other one's right out in front of the door, so it's right there. And cool. How it, many acres is the is the whole property? It's sixty acres. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. And is there? I think I would. If, Correct me if I'm I'm remembering correctly. A, a yoga pad, that yeah, to be installed. Created? We uh, we have a feel we're actually inviting some uh, kind of peers and some wedding people, and we may consider social opportunities. And we have this one field that's got a view, but tucked away. And, and we're thinking about putting a yoga pad or it being an, uh, an event space. So we're going to get some final consult on that. And then we have some tree spaces. And it was interesting um, during the soft opening in August, we had two groups. One of them was our own because we figure our toughest critic is going to be our own team. And <laughs> yeah. We yeah. always have an offsite in the summer. So while Kathy did a great job leading the renovations and working with our contractors and architect and a lot of decisions were made from a residential kind of view, but also family sites versus we're thinking about this from like, where are we going to have this meeting or when there's four concurrent meetings conversations or if there's a walk in the woods and the great news we were so nervous sweating uh, we had an exit survey that we scored actually a 4.5 out of 5 from our own team Ooh. on overall event facilities and so uh, for the soft opening and that you was do a little victory lap yeah <laughs> yes we we, we we had a victory drink even better even better um, so as we do get into meeting season here what are some of the biggest mistakes 
that organizations make when it either comes to their own in-house meetings or events that they're putting on? I think not meeting is one of the biggest mistakes. Mm -hmm. I think that people have gotten very comfortable with the virtual and sometimes the cost savings, but there's something missing when you're doing a virtual event. You don't have the conversations that you need to have or you don't get to know the people as well as you would if you're passing them in the hallway or going for a walk with them in the woods or anything like that. Yeah, so having I think coffee at 6 a.m. or something. Exactly. Yeah. I think that that choosing not to meet in person is probably the biggest mistake that they can make right now. I think the, the one thing we've been advising all of our clients as they come back to gathering mm-hmm. is get out of the way on the first day. Just yeah. don't do big production, put them in a ballroom, like just have an outdoor reception mm-hmm. with really good food, right. maybe some uplighting, maybe a jazz guitarist, <laughs> maybe a, a, a magician. We were just on an event in um, North Carolina. I forgot how effective a close proximity magician is. Oh, cool. He had like 30 people around him at the end of the night, like people weren't getting on the shuttles. So I'd say get out of the way. You don't have to overproduce because people just want to connect, kind of what you were talking it's about true. in your yeah. opening. Yeah. Um, the second hope I would I would advise on is content. During virtual, we narrowed the content really mm-hmm. well. So we went from like 60-minute breakouts down to 20-minute presentations and 20 minutes of Q&A. We've seen people start to talk back at people and feel like they have to have hour-long breakouts. So I would say be thoughtful about your content, the fire hose, and creative about it. Um, and then the third thing I'd advise, especially those taking on, it takes a lot of time to produce an event. And this isn't a commercial for us, but um, people have gotten two or three jobs in their job in this world and you're managing so much more now producing an event. Sometimes the benefits of thinking about who has capacity and who's the best to do that, whether it's an ember agency or someone else in the organization mm-hmm. who has that skills. I think uh, it used to be before it was always marketing that deal. Executive admin did. Everyone's doing so much more. So you still got to be thoughtful because it is a big expense for organizations uh, to do it is just be really thoughtful about the workload it takes to produce it. It still takes a lot of time. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to know before we have to wrap, uh, two things. One, um, as you guys as a team, the most magnificent event you've ever put on and the most logistically crazy event you've ever put on. What comes to mind first? <laughs> the most over the top, we could say. Um, logistically crazy. Yeah. I think without naming names, there's a footwear company that we did um, in six weeks notice. <laughs> so we got a we got a phone call. Um, it was their national sales meeting. And we got a phone call that they had fired their event planner, and it was nothing's been done. Here's the hotel contract. You've got six weeks and basically <sighs> in the open. mountains. That's one. Yes, oh, yeah. in the mountains. Wow. Um, and it was up. It was actually in Breckenridge. Yeah. Um, Colorado. So during mud season. Oh, fun, fun. Where nothing's open. I was going to say, there's nothing to do. No, they take, yeah, literally they take the month of May off and they shut everything down. And I flew out there, you know, again, we had six weeks to produce the event and highly creative company. Um, But I went out there and did a site visit and I said, okay, you know, what do I I need to know about this area? Well, you want to watch out for bears. (laughs) That's what they started with, huh? Okay. And fires. So if we don't have any oh. fires or bears, you're probably good. Like, okay. And it snowed every <laughs> single day we were there. When we once, once we got on site, it snowed every day we were there in May. So what did you manage to do in six weeks under these conditions? It was conditions? actually a pretty phenomenal event, <laughs> I awesome. have to say. It was great. We were able to take over the entire resort. We branded the entire resort. Um, we were able to do a huge uh, kickoff event for them with, you know, a bunch of different entertainment 
um, we were able, we, basically we owned the town because mm. nobody was there. So we were able to go, you know, we did <laughs> Huge dine around. Show. So we went to a bunch of different places that were open. Huge fashion show. Yeah. It wow. was, um, so you could walk around going, we own this town. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We, did. we also yeah. couldn't breathe though. Cause we were at 14,000 feet. Oh. Like, it was awful. But, right, no running. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, Wow events. I always go, what makes me, you know, at the end of the event, we've seen a lot, we've been to a lot. What makes me go, whew, that was, that was it. I think it, it wasn't necessarily a big budget, but it was for another running brand and it was their customer event. And we found, I always, we have this list of like venues we always want to do events at. And every year there's like something bespoke or something. And I had this venue for years, an old mining town that a, a wealthy German oil baron bought for their private residence and turned it into <laughs> a hotel. And it's, awesome. And then it's um, by Telluride, not easy to get to. And uh, so we had a group of 20 of their top accounts. Um, the only way to get there is Denver to Gunnison then in. So what we actually did got into Denver to Gunnison, and then we helicoptered them in because it was a two hour drive. So all guests arrived in the helicopter. And for those who might understand the reference to mash, not mm-hmm. some of our younger team members <laughs> don't know that it was anytime you heard, uh, so we off season helicopters, aren't that cost effect are very cost effective because it's not ski season. So we got two helicopters for a reasonable rate, just going back and forth doing transfers. And you just hear it coming over the same. Oh man. And it was like, everyone gather around <laughs> to welcome. And you've never seen a guest arrive so happy, which is usually the thing we're trying to overcome on most events is airline delays <laughs> right. and they're miserable by right. the time they get on site. And we had, they had actually natural hot springs, these awesome little homes. All of our sessions had no technology in the first session. We actually built a pad for them to be on. It actually inspires our yoga pad idea. And the president of the company just had one question and he had all folding chairs around said, how can we be the best manufacturer to you? What can we do? And that was a, was supposed to be an hour conversation, went on for four hours. And by the end of the meeting, he reported out, said, we can do this. And like some of the feedback was, can you just give us the product two weeks before you give it to Amazon? Check. Yeah, we can do that. Give us a head start. And then the closing event, um, it was a running company. So we did some awesome running in the mountains. It was really great. And the closing event was just a barbecue. They had a river camp um, that we brought people down to. So it felt far away. It was 10 minutes down the road mm-hmm. and then this private and we just had this great, unbelievable, not unbelievable, amazing barbecue, checkered linens, like you, everything you expect. And then we had a campfire and the CEO just said, hey, we just want one more thing. We were kind of thinking, what's our Steve Jobs? And he said, uh, a couple might know this guy, he's a Grammy Award winner. And uh, we didn't have the biggest budget to get, you know, an Ed Sheeran or something, but we can get the lead singer of Men at Work, Colin Hay. And Colin Hay walked out from the little barn there and played an acoustic concert for 40 minutes for 22 people. And on this last song, right after Land Down Under, uh, cue the fireworks. And what was great, we were in this middle. So there was the GM there was also the fire chief of the town and, <laughs> and a pyromaniac. Oh, my God. So we gave him $1,000 and he just bought all these fireworks and lit it up. And it was just. And one of the great things that we knew was great is someone, um, some competitor, um, some people went to competitor events said, I just got back from the Olympics and I went to London uh, with this brand. This was the best event I've ever been to. Wow. And I went, it wasn't, it was a 100th the budget, but it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Well, this is, um, it's been an amazing conversation. Um, we're excited for, uh, everything that you have, um, done and that you are now, uh, doing in the woods of New Hampshire as it were. So it's really, it's really, really cool stuff. And we thank you for being with us. Kathy Del Medico, Chris Gasparro of Ember Escapes. Thanks again. Cheers. Great seeing you again.
And now the buzz. All right. In a recent Inc. magazine article that I read, um, in just four sentences, Elon Musk gives employees a masterclass on how to run efficient meetings, right? Um, He goes into a number of of interesting details, but uh, the author of this article also talks about the cost of meetings, um, how to reduce the cost of meetings, and some changes that, you know, you can make in the office. And we're not talking about, you know, um, big sales meetings or conferences, things like that. We're talking those day-to-day meetings that can mostly be a time suck for a lot of people. The the, the inspiration for the phrase, this could have been an email. An email, yeah, for that (laughs) mug, right, exactly. Um, So... Rolling right into here, um, the I think it would be really interesting. Let's just lead off, Matt, with this true cost of meetings. It's it's insane. I found this fascinating, and I think I, it really is. It re, perp, re, uh, rephrases: Is this meeting this important? If you think about how much it's costing you right. to hold this meeting, so they said, you know, let's say the average hourly rate of your employee is fifty dollars per person, which. I want to work at this company. Hello. But uh, so that's about equivalent of $100,000 per year. If there are five people in an hour-long weekly meeting, that's costing the organization $250 per week or $12,500 per year. And a monthly all-hands huddle with 500 people, that's $300,000 per year. And a daily 15-minute check-in with 10 people, 31,250. I mean, when you break it down like that, yeah, that gets you thinking, it does. is this meeting really worth that? Right. Or are all the people in this meeting really necessary? Can they come? Can they go? Can they, you know, do we really need to have this meeting? Right. Um, I mean, the old adage is time is money, right? Yeah, right. But right. I mean, somehow we don't have a problem with wasting people's time in our office <laughs> with these meetings. But if you start thinking about how much money that meeting's costing you, I think it it, it, it gets you thinking harder about, do, is this necessary? Exactly. So Musk uh, Musk's advice, actually, in this article, uh, the, the quoted advice was, please get rid of all large meetings unless you are certain that they're providing value to the whole audience, in which case keep them very short. Love that. Also, get rid of frequent meetings. Unless you're in, you're dealing with an extreme urgent matter, meeting frequently should drop rapidly once the urgent matter is resolved. It's almost a no-brainer, right? I mean, like, why are we just meeting all the time? Are we just meeting to meet? And, and you know, really, what are we doing? Um, walk out of a meeting or drop off a call as soon as it's obvious you aren't adding value. Love that. But that's, like, so taboo. Well, oh, my I was goodness. Say, you have to be careful how you do that right. one. It's not rude to leave a meeting. It's rude to make someone stay and waste their time unless they don't know why you're leaving of course but i'm gonna say um, what if it's the boss <laughs> yeah right exactly yeah don't leave that meeting um but they also you know they go into um a few a few ways to maybe um clean things up a little bit and you could yeah eliminate a meeting entirely um you could reduce the number of people in the meeting which of course um makes sense and again are they adding value do they really need to be there could they just read the notes later on right um reducing its duration i don't like to schedule a meeting that's more than 60 minutes and sometimes that's even too much you know and and you'd be amazed as they say too and you cut it by 15 minutes you might be amazed that you can still get all of that work done with that you planned in the extra 15 minutes just by knowing in the beginning of the meeting that it's going to be 15 minutes shorter. 
you know, yeah. and you're just, you're planning, you're planning your way through it. Um, reducing their frequency where if it's a recurring meeting, um, I'm all about that because it's, again, unless it's an urgent situation that you need to work through with a team, why are we, you know, doing this? Can we just read a report? Can we get together less frequently or do we, can we get together around the water cooler? Not like seven of us in a room for an hour, right. you know? Um, and that's, that's what I know. And having an agenda. And yes. giving out the agenda ahead of yes. time so people know what we're what doing, we why we're doing it, and sticking to it. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. And that is what we're buzzing about this week. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a production of Granite Media Group.